Our scripture is from John 11. Please stand for the reading of scripture. We'll read verses 17 to 27. John 11 and verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will uh, speak to us now by the power of your spirit that we would see and hear our Lord. He would be high and lifted up in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In his name, amen. Be seated, please. Do you believe in ideas or a real person? Uh, This is a passage about belief, a very uh, particular belief. The important thing about faith, about believing, is what is the faith in? Or better, who is the faith in? And this passage is a call to believe in a person. Now in this well-known passage, Martha had a theoretical belief in the resurrection. But Jesus called her to believe in his person. First in this passage, you see the mysterious moving of Jesus. So, look at verse 4. Word, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Word comes to Jesus that his friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, God will be glorified and I'll be glorified through this sickness. Now look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. It's... It's a non sequitur. He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. So when he hears that uh, Lazarus is sick, 
He stays. You know, when you get word that a friend is sick, a, a very sick, a, a friend is dying, you want to go. We don't have the power to heal. We don't have the power to raise the dead, but still we want to go because we love them. It says that Jesus loved Lazarus, therefore he stayed. It's mysterious. Well, it's not mysterious to us now. We know why he waited, but at the time it was very mysterious. Now, if you look at verse 3, it says that Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. They were sending for Jesus. They wanted him to come. But Jesus stayed two more days. But Jesus waited and did not come immediately, not because he didn't love Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but because he had a greater purpose. Look at uh, verse 3. The sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I mean, can y'all hear me when I'm not shouting? People tell me every week that they can't hear me. Can y'all hear me right now? Okay, because there's no microphone on right now. But anyway, it's all dead. <laughs> and I'm getting tired of shouting. God said he would be glorified through this. Now, verse 40, he says at the end, or near the end, that he will reveal the glory of God in raising the dead. But they didn't know that then. But now in verse 7, Jesus, who has waited, says, let's go. And the disciples find this mysterious. They ask, why are you going back? They tried to kill you the last time you were there. And then in verses 9... And 10, Jesus answered them with something that sounds like a riddle. Look at it. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbled because the light <clears throat> is not in him. It is cryptic. What does that mean? I doubt they had any idea. What that had to do with him, with them going to Bethany. Then in verse 11, Jesus says, Lazarus is now asleep and he's going to wake him up. And the disciples say, let him rest. If he's sick, it'll do him good to sleep. He'll get better. They don't understand what he's talking about. Then in verse 14, Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then Thomas says with sarcasm, well, let's go and die with him. You see, the disciples don't understand what's happening. Mary and Martha do not understand why Jesus was taking so long. You know that old hymn? You may not know the hymn, but you know the title of it because we've all quoted it. God moves in a mysterious way. And here Jesus is moving in a mysterious way there's a line from that hymn that says behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face his ways are mysterious our circumstances may suggest that he is frowning on us but behind it 
He hides a smiling face. And John is telling us that this is the real Jesus in whom we are called to believe. His ways are mysterious to us, over our heads. And he's asking us, will you trust this Jesus, this mysterious and unpredictable Jesus? You see this mysterious moving of Jesus. Secondly, in this passage, you see focused faith in Jesus. Now, in verse 17, Jesus got to Bethany, and Lazarus was a substantial member of the community, and there was a big funeral with a lot of uh, mourners who have come to comfort Mary and Martha. And then as Jesus approaches, Martha comes out to meet him. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's it, What Martha says there is some mixture of anger, of, of faith, of, and love. She she trusts Jesus' power. She uh, says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have done something. But you didn't. She seems to be mad at Jesus for not coming. And yet still she knows even now that he can help. But Martha's conversation with Jesus is the key of the passage. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He states a plain fact. Lazarus is going to rise again. And in verse 24, she says to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, Martha was correct. She knew her Bible. She had good theology. The, the Sadducees who were in control, who ran the temple at that time, the high priest was a Sadducee, they said there was no resurrection. But Martha knew better than the high priest. Martha knew there would be a resurrection at the last day. She could have confessed as we have this very morning, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Now look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Martha made a good orthodox confession. There will be a resurrection. But Jesus here is calling her to turn her faith from the fact of the resurrection to the one who raises the dead. D.A. Carson says, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide him. You know, we're not saved by believing that we are saved. We are saved by believing in Jesus. We're not forgiven by believing in forgiveness. We are forgiven by believing in Jesus. 
We don't receive grace by believing in grace. We receive the grace of Jesus Christ by believing in him. And we won't be raised at the last day by believing in the resurrection, but by believing in him who is the resurrection and the life. So Martha confesses that she believes in the resurrection. But Jesus asked her, do you believe in me? Now to be raised from the dead is a great benefit of our salvation. And the doctrine of the resurrection is a precious, precious doctrine. The benefit is important. The doctrine is important. But apart from the person of Jesus Christ, the benefit is useless and the doctrine is meaningless. It is in him personally united to Jesus by faith that we possess the benefit and confess the doctrine of the resurrection. Look at verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, Jesus has shifted the focus of Martha's faith from the benefit of the resurrection and the doctrine of the resurrection to himself, the one who is the resurrection. So you believe in ideas, abstract ideas on paper. Or do you believe in the benefits that come from Jesus? Or do you believe in the real person of the Savior? You see the mysterious moving of Jesus, focused faith in Jesus. Thirdly, in this passage, you see the hot hatred of Jesus. Hot hatred. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Mary comes to Jesus... She's very distraught. She's weeping. And she says about the same thing Martha had said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But, but look at Jesus' reaction. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was greatly troubled. Now look at verse 35. Jesus wept. Now verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Jesus displayed a tremendous amount of emotion here. Twice it says he was deeply moved. And you know the authorized version, which I generally prefer, says that Jesus groaned. In his spirit. 
Literally in Greek, it says that he snorted. It was a figure of speech that indicated anger. We might say he was seeing red or he was hot. Jesus was angry as he came to the tomb of Lazarus. Why? Well, some say Jesus was disappointed to see Mary weeping as if somehow mourning is incompatible with faith, and and so he was indignant. That can't be right. Verse 35 is the first verse some of us ever memorized. Jesus wept. He wasn't mad at Mary for weeping. He was weeping. And by the way, it's okay to be sad when you lose your loved ones. The Bible doesn't say we're not to mourn. It says we're not to mourn as those who have no hope. Don't act hopeless, but but it's okay to mourn. No, Jesus wasn't mad at Mary for being sad. What was he mad about? Old Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield wrote a fascinating article over 100 years ago, on the emotional life of our Lord. And he said that Jesus was groaning in his spirit because he was mad at death. Death is his great enemy. He is the resurrection and the life. He is life itself. The Father gave him life in himself. 1 John chapter 1 and about verse 2, it's on the top of your bulletin, says that the eternal life was with the Father. That's Jesus. He is the eternal life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and death is the arch enemy of the one who is himself eternal life. And he came to destroy that enemy. And as he surveys the destruction and the heartache that his enemy has inflicted on this dear family that he loves, Jesus is furious. He absolutely hates death. He came into the world to destroy death. And at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus comes face to face with what he came to kill. John Calvin said that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus like a fighter stepping into the ring. You remember in the last chapter, Jesus says, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Death is the antithesis of the abundant life, and Jesus hates it. You see the mysterious moving of Jesus, focused Faith in Jesus, the hot hatred of Jesus. Fourthly, in this passage, you see the supreme sign of Jesus. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha says, well, it's been four days. There will be an odor. And once again, nothing says it like the authorized version which says his body now stinketh. But Jesus moves forward. 
take away the stone. Now, again, there have been some strange interpretations of, of this that at least in my opinion read too much into it. Why Jesus told them to take away the stone. If he had the power by his voice to raise the dead, he had the power uh, by his voice, the power of the Holy Spirit to roll the stone away. And some have said that Jesus told the people to roll the stone away uh, in order to show us that we have some small part in his work. Again, I seriously doubt that has anything to do with the meaning of the text. Here's the point. Here's why Jesus wanted that stone rolled away before he did anything. He wanted everyone there to smell what was in that tomb. Right before he raises Lazarus, Jesus prays. And he says in his prayer to the Father that I am praying for the benefit of the people listening to me. He wants them to overhear his communication with the Father. And as he wants them to hear his communication with the Father, he wants them to smell the stench of death so there would be absolutely no doubt that he had, in fact, raised the dead. You know, all the miracles illustrate a point. Healing the blind man showed that Jesus is the light of the world. Feeding the 5,000 showed that Jesus is the bread of life. But this miracle is the supreme sign of Jesus. The one that illustrates everything. Look at verse 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You remember in chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need an internal resurrection in your soul that is as radical as a physical resurrection in your body. He told the woman at the well she needed living water. In chapter 6, he told the Jews that they could not come to him unless the Father drew them. In chapter 8, he told them that they were enslaved to sin. You see, the stench of death in Lazarus' tomb is not only a picture of what Jesus will overcome on the last day when he raises the dead. It is a picture of the spiritual death and bondage to sin. He overcomes in our hearts. And he does overcome it by the power of his word. The voice of Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And it has been pointed out by many that if Jesus had not said the word Lazarus, every dead person would have come out of the grave. You know, in John 5, Jesus said, there's an hour coming at the end of the world when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. But he said, there's an hour now when the dead are hearing my voice and living. It is no less a miracle for him to resurrect my dead and sinful heart 
as it will be for him to raise my dead body on the last day. You see the supreme sign of Jesus. So you see the mysterious moving of Jesus, focused faith in Jesus, the hot hatred of Jesus, the supreme sign of Jesus, and fifthly and finally, you see the primary purpose of Jesus. Now we'll come back to this next week, God willing. But after Jesus raises Lazarus, from verse 45 down to the end of chapter 11, the Jewish council convenes and they hatch a conspiracy to kill Jesus. Look at verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. This wicked man, Caiaphas, this high priest who is a reprobate says, we have to kill Jesus. If we don't, the Romans will come put us out of business. It's better that one man die for the people and not that the whole nation perish. Now look at verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. God moves in a mysterious way. You see, there's another force at work. Wicked Caiaphas prophesies and they plan Jesus' demise. And so wicked men of their own free will did exactly what God wanted and had planned. One man would die for the people. And not for that nation only, but for the whole world. This is why Jesus did this so conspicuously. To seal his doom. Jesus raised Lazarus to life so that he himself could die. We cannot separate Jesus' death or we cannot separate resurrection from Jesus' death. John cannot celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus for five minutes before turning to the cross because Jesus purchased our resurrection. At the cross, the sin that kills us, he destroyed it by dying under it. You know, Hebrews 11 talks about the uh, martyrs receiving a better resurrection. You know, Lazarus' resurrection was only a sign of something greater. He was raised, but he didn't receive a better Resurrection. He came back in the same shape he was in before he got sick and died. And one day he died again. 
But within a matter of days, Jesus would die and Jesus would rise again and Jesus rose in the power of an indestructible life. Lazarus had to be unbound from grave clothes. Jesus' grave clothes were folded up on the stone slab. The stone was removed to prove Lazarus was dead. The stone was removed from Jesus' grave to prove he was alive. His resurrection body had already passed through the stone before it was ever rolled away. You see, we don't need to be brought back in the same shape we're in now. We're still under the curse. We're still in decline. But in his death, Jesus bore the curse for us so that he could do so much more for us on the last day than he did for Lazarus on that day. And this is the key to receive it. You must come into a personal union, a personal faith in the real person of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in him, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. He shall be raised in the power of an indestructible life. Do you believe this? Do you really believe in him? The real person. Or is this all just on paper? I believe in the resurrection of the body. Said the words and that's all. Do you believe in ideas? Or do you believe in a real, risen person? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.